Welcome to the Church on Morgan podcast. To learn more about connecting with our community, visit churchonmorgan.org. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Thank you for listening. Well, the, um, this morning we are continuing in the Gospel of Mark as the lectionary has us uh, in chapter 10, and we're going to be looking at verses 17 through 31. Uh, so would you hear now the word of the Lord? And Mark writes this, he says, As he, that is Jesus, was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to, inter- to inherit eternal life? <clears throat> and Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. Uh, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not uh, defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all of these since my youth. And so Jesus, looking at him, loved him and then said, You lack one thing. Go sell what you own and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And when he heard this, he was shocked. And he went away grieving, for he had many possessions. And then Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and they said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, for mortals, it's impossible, but not for God. For God, all things are possible. And Peter began to say to him, look, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly, I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold Now in this age, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields, with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Uh, This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Okay, so uh, keep it real. Um, I have been struggling with this text this week. Uh, I struggled with the recording on Thursday. I struggled at 9 a.m. There's no real reason to believe I won't struggle right here at 11 o'clock. Uh, but I'm believing that somehow we're going to make our way through this and say something, God's going to say something meaningful to us together. I think part of the challenge is, um, is that I probably, if I'm being honest, I, I am the person in this story. I am the person who's, in the grand scheme of the world, incredibly wealthy and well-off. And to have ears to hear what Jesus might be offering me or any of us is, just feels like a stretch. It's also the kind of passage that uh, we've heard many times. Um, even if you don't go to church, one of the things funny, I was talking to a friend this week and said, you know, one time I sort of kicked this passage around. I said, what do you think about that whole passage in the Bible 
uh, where Jesus says, you know, the whole thing about a camel through the eye of a needle and the rest. Uh, And he said, you know what's interesting about that is everybody had an opinion. Most of them were pretty negative, but nobody said, I've never even heard of that passage, you know? This is one that sticks to our bones that we can't avoid, that we don't really like looking at. We're not really sure what to do with. Um, And so we're going to try anyway. Truth is, we don't get a lot of these stories in the scripture, but it actually is often a lot of our story. Is um, This guy, he seems to have it all together. That's just the truth, right? We want to look and find kind of like the fault, the whatever. But he shows up in great humility He comes straight to the source of this incredible spiritual teacher. He falls down. He gets on his knees and says, I I want the life that is really life, and I feel like you're the person who can help me find it. Would you help? And Jesus goes, well, you know, let's just start where you start with the Ten Commandments. Like, don't steal. Don't murder. Honor your parents. Don't defraud each other. And he's like, no, I know. And I've kept all of those since my youth. Like, I'm a person of integrity. Like, people gathering around this person are going, no, he has. Like, he, he's kind of like, we would trust him. Uh, this is who you would want to run for office. This is who you like being in relationship with. He's a person who keeps his word. He hasn't, from a young age, has lived with a lot of dignity in this life. And no surprise, kind of along that way, as he's taking care of other people well and made good decisions in his own life, it becomes clear that he's also acquired a significant amount of wealth that he's gathered an abundance of possessions. In fact, in the other two gospel accounts, in Matthew and Luke, we're told right out the gate that he was rich and he was young. One commentator this week says, maybe the reason that Mark doesn't give us those details is because Mark knows we love stories about other people, right? And so if Mark tells us he was rich, we're like, oh, this is for them. Or if he says he was young, we're like, of course, this is for young people. But he's like, no, he's just a person. He's just a man. But But we do come to hear that he had accumulated significant wealth and respect in the community. And he comes to Jesus and he says, what do I have to do? Like, what else is there for me to do? How do I get the life that really is life? Everybody standing around is wondering why this guy's even here, what he has to say to Jesus, why he's even addressing Jesus, why he's talking to Jesus. He doesn't seem to fit the profile of the people that Jesus tends to minister to, which are those who've been wounded and beat up and sick and possessed and kind of on kind of the last inch of their life. And so everybody kind of leans in to hear what Jesus is going to say here. And the truth is, if we are honest, we as the church, we don't really know what to say to folks like that, right? The people whose lives seem to be pretty well put together. I mean, if you've hung around the church for any number of time or ever been at kind of a testimony service or the rest, uh, I think this is completely right and good that this is the way, but it's usually like, hey, my life was a total train wreck, and then I met Jesus, and look how it sort of came together. So much so that the people who are strong in our community, who seem to have made some decent decisions and choices and built a pretty secure life for themselves, we, they, they struggle to even know how to express their faith or talk about it, because they just sort of go, I don't know what I would say. I think it's supposed to sound like I was a train wreck, but I'm not. And so then the church says to people like that, they say, well, it's because you've got some hidden sin right over here. And they go, I, no, I'm open, but like, I don't, right? And then they go, well, it's because you've got, this, uh, you've got this disease of your soul that needs to be cured. And they're like, honestly, I feel pretty at peace with God. They're like, well, actually, then it must be because you're carrying this deep woundedness or this pain, and only Jesus can comfort that space. And they go, but, I, but I'm not. 
And at that point, the church just basically goes, well, here's the deal. You're weak and you're miserable even if you don't know it, right? And they sort of walk away and go, I just don't know if the church is for me. I don't know if this thing is for folks like me. I'm glad it's there for people who are hurting. I'm glad it's there for people who are really struggling. I'm glad it's there for, but, but I'm, I, I'm okay right now. What is Jesus have for me? What do you give the person? What do you offer the person who seems to have everything? And I know that there are lots of people in our community who are hurting, but on the whole, there's a lot of us who kind of fit this profile. And you keep showing up waiting, hoping that maybe this will be the time, and you're like, man, I'm glad that was there for them last week. And I'm glad that word of grace is present for this individual and what they're walking through, but it never seems to have anything for us. That's why I love this text that Jesus addresses a lot of people who fit the profile, like us, many of us in this room, who made some good decisions, who have some pretty decent resiliency built up. And he, he looks at this man, I love that, and Mark tells us he looked at him, like looked into him, looked through him, saw his soul. And the first thing he said is he loved him. Jesus looks at him and he loves this guy. He loves what his life's been about. He loves his curiosity. He loves that he's still showing up even though he hasn't been served in any real predictable way. And then Jesus says, there is one thing you lack, right? He doesn't braid him about his integrity. He doesn't say, you're not as in, you, you don't have as much integrity as you're putting on. We all know that you actually lie all the time. He doesn't say, you gained all your wealth by stealing from other people. You're a horrible human being. He he's like, no, I recognize you've done it. Like, there's just one thing to which you can hear the relief in this guy. It's like, finally, somebody who can see past everything I have to see the lack that I've been feeling. I mean, especially people in this position Whenever I just, we witness this, and I've seen this in other relationships and friendships, is that it can be an incredibly, and I know, boo-hoo for the rich guy who seems to have all the friends and influence, right? But it can be kind of an isolating, lonely experience to be like, I, something isn't right, and everybody like, your life's awesome. And they're like, yeah, but it, there's an ache, there's a something, and they're like, no, come on, you couldn't possibly, right? And so there's this relief that Jesus sort of looks into his soul and goes, no, there is. There's something, there's one thing I see that you lack. And then he offers it to him. And he essentially says to this man, I, um, I want you to come join our team. I want you to be like the 13th disciple, right? Yeah. I think we could be on an incredible adventure together. I think uh, what you're looking for is happening right here, kind of around me. And so then he gives him the invitation that he had given every other disciple. Drop your nets, leave your parents, come follow me, right? He says, so here's what I want you to do real quick, because we travel light around here, and we live on the hospitality of others, and we depend on God every step of the way. I just want you to go home, sell off what you have, give it to the poor, which, by the way, is a, a great endowment strategy, rather, right? Jesus, right here, he said it. Sell it, and then give us the money. We don't need the boat, right? Um, he says, just sell it do all the transaction, get to the financial resources, give it to the poor. Uh, you'll have treasure in heaven just in that transaction alone. There'll be an experience that'll light you up. And then I want you to come follow me and we're going to do this together. This is going to be amazing. And it's like in this moment, um, I think it's important that we kind of remember and see here that Jesus is like, he's not a fundraiser. 
He's not soliciting financial resources because Jesus needs them or he needs them for his movement or he needs them for... He doesn't even touch it. He doesn't even see it. This isn't at all about fundraising. Jesus is trying to free this person. He's trying to... What he's offering... What he's offering this man is the one thing he doesn't have, which is a life of dependence on God. He's offering him the opportunity to trust someone besides himself, to not live this completely self-reliant deal. And he likes it about as much as we do, right? He's not a fan of this sort of pathway. Just the invitation, it breaks his heart. He's actually the only person in the Gospels who receives a call from Jesus to come follow him who rejects it. It's the one time it happens. Jesus says, come follow me, and he can't. He can't do it. He has this heartbreaking realization that somehow just in this simple invitation to to step into the life that he really does want and he's dreaming of and he knows this guy can offer is this realization that all the work and effort that he's put in to freeing himself, providing for himself freedom from the chaos and the pain of this world, all of that relational equity that he's built, that all the identifiers, all the people in town who know him for all of his goodness, all of the financial resources he's accumulated that he knows creates a bumper for him for whenever life happens, he's going to be able to solve it, he's going to be figure it out. That Jesus says, I want you to let go of all that and to step into a life of trust. That there's actually something so much better about living in dependence and on me than there is about trying to secure your own sort of uh, reality, right? What Jesus offers the person who has everything is the opportunity to not have everything. The opportunity to depend, the opportunity to trust, the opportunity to join the rest of the world who are coming to find this out. And he, he exposes for him that that thing that he thought would bring him freedom has actually become bondage. This is how St. Augustine, and you know, every generation for thousands of years have recognized this about, specifically about wealth and riches, of what a trap it can be for us, a way that it can enslave us, that the anxiety we have in this life, we try to like push out by securing more resources only to find out that the securing more resources becomes the new anxiety, right? This is what St. Augustine said. He said, such are the miseries that attend on riches. This is why money is often so miserable. First, uh, they are gained with toil and then they're kept with fear. That, that you, you have to like grind yourself out and work harder than you can imagine just to get these resources, and then once you have them, you're terrified you're going to lose them. They're enjoyed with danger, all kinds of ways that just beginning to step into and enjoy the resources, the wealth that you've created for yourself becomes a dangerous experience, and then when you lose them, they're lost with grief. Augustine says it's hard to be saved if we have resources, and it's impossible if we love them, and the brutal irony is scarcely can we have them, but we still love them inordinately. We, we never have as much as we want, but we still always want more. We always love it, right? And when we get it, it becomes a new thing we're afraid of losing. It's this vicious cycle. So Jesus says to the disciples and to this man, man, how hard, how hard it is for those who have accumulated wealth, for those who've kept all the rules, how hard it is for folks like that to enter the kingdom of God, right? 
And this isn't because, um, this isn't because, and we get this wrong sometimes in the church, especially in our youthful radical days, that we, we begin to say, well, that's because like somehow there's some uh, virtue and poverty, right? And Jesus talks about blessed are the poor. That Will Willimon this week, I was reading some of his commentary, and he was saying, the kingdom of God can't be bought with your pro- poverty any more than it can with your riches. That's not what's going on here, right? When, when Jesus says, blessed are the poor, it's not because being poor is like a lot more fun or something, right? Like my mom used to say, anybody who says money isn't everything has never, ha- has never been poor, right? But what's happening here is he says, the reason it's difficult, Reverend Willeman says, the reason it's difficult for the rich is because they can solve most of life's nitty-gritty problems through their checkbooks. And over time, they begin to delude themselves into thinking that they can solve all of them in this manner. And, and so the reason the poor are blessed is because they are less apt to indulge themselves in the self-deception, in the false sense of security which riches often engender. Blessed are the poor because they're more likely to catch on to the fact that our basic dependency is upon a gracious God. This is kind of like, it's just, the reason you're blessed to be poor is you can't, if you're poor, you don't live long without realizing that you are depending on some benevolent, divine being to meet your needs, to care for you, to see you, to love you, to provide a way out. But when you do life right and you accumulate wealth that over time you begin to trust no one but yourself and see that um, this is how it works, right? And you miss the big opportunity and the big joy of a life lived in dependence on God. This is what Jesus offers the man who has everything, who's found himself living an independent life. Barbara Brown Taylor says that the thing that we do wrong with this text is we either make it all about money or we don't make it about money at all, right? Uh, It's definitely about money and the way that money has this grip on us, but it's not only about money. In fact, like the disciples, um, they watch this whole scene unfold. They're not the rich young ruler, and they have the same overwhelming sense that I think many of us do when we read this text. They go, if that guy can't get into the kingdom, like, how do any of us, right? Like he did all the right stuff. He's kind of like, he's our, you know, star kid here. If he can't get in, then can any of us? And Jesus, by the way, we already left some stuff. And now it feels like we're not going to get in. And like, I know I didn't have all he had, but I had like a boat and a career and some connections or whatever in hometown. And, and I've left all that. And now I'm like, I'm not, what am, are we toast? Like, what have you set us up for? And Jesus says to them, like, look, nobody who trusts me ends up empty-handed, right? Nobody who lives a life of dependence on God finds themselves robbed in that transaction. Anybody who's given up a career or a family or whatever um, to lean more into my path for their life, my grace, right? These people, they receive a life that's a hundredfold, here and later, I've struggled with that because I, I started thinking, I'm like, well, does that mean like, hey, if I sell my house, that now I'm supposed to get like a hundred mansions? Because that surely doesn't seem to be the way this played out for the disciples. And I'm not sure it's a theology I'm super comfortable with. But then when you see Jesus start to lay out what that looks like, he goes, not a single one of you who left behind your father or your brother 
or your boat or whatever has walked into this life empty-handed. Instead, you have been given an abundance of fathers and brothers and sisters. He begins to point out for them that, that second when you stepped out and you trusted me and you stepped into that vulnerable, insecure place, but lived depending on me, that the, the benefit, the joy, the rush of that life has been just look in our wake. Look at all the new family you have that would have never been possible. Look at the brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles you now have in every city and town that we've traveled through together. Think about all the houses that now you have a standing invitation with. Think about the connection, the network, the joy, the people who are for you, the community, the opportunity that's been made, right? That none of this would have been possible if you had stayed back there fishing and didn't let go of the thing that you had secured your, your life with. Jesus, there, there is a life that this man is after, and Jesus affirms him in it and says, you've got it right. There is a 100x kind of life out there, and it's just on the other side of trust. And unfortunately for him, the fear of poverty for him, was greater than his own fear of living his whole life a slave to money. He, he could see what he was looking at, but it was still too scary to step free out of it. And so he chose bondage over freedom when everything he had done was about trying to get himself free. And so it raises the question for us, like, who can accept an offer like that? Who would choose that? Who would say yes to that? And Jesus says, well, nobody would. <laughs> On your own, you're toast. But with God, it's totally possible. In fact, it's more than possible. It happens all the time. It's happening in your life right there, these disciples. It's happening here. I mean, it's happening among you. Who would get up on a Sunday morning that looks like this, second day in a row, go through the hassle of getting dressed and dragging kids to get in your car to come and hear somebody offer yet again another challenging word that makes me uncomfortable and think when I could have just stayed home and had some of that beautiful visual zen of CBS Sunday morning, right? Why would anyone do this? Nobody would choose that deal, and yet you do. You keep choosing it. Who would come to a worship service and wear these ridiculous masks that, you know, feel terrible, like humidity 110% on a Sunday morning, to sing when you don't know if anyone else is singing. Like who, who would risk this? Nobody would choose that, and yet you do. With, on our own, it's impossible. With God, it's happening. It is possible. Who would f- freely give of their own hard-earned financial resources and give them away to the poor, to nonprofits, to their church in an act of trust? Who would do that? Nobody would do that. But with God, it happens all the time. There, there's a 100x life hanging in the balance for those of us who seem like we have it all, and it's just on the other side of dependence and trust. And so I don't know what that looks like for you. For this man, it was money. You know, I, I heard a commentator this week say, um, you know, a lot of us Christians who are like super um, Sunday school-ish, we take some real relief in knowing that Jesus didn't ask all of his disciples to do this. He only asked this guy, right? To which they said, right. And so if you take a lot of comfort in that, you're probably the guy he would ask, you know? But some of us, that's not the thing God would ask. It's, it's, it's releasing this platform that you've built a lot of influence on, but it's destroying your soul from the inside out. And you're being invited to step out of it and step into real life, some real human beings. You're being invited to let go of some grudge that you've been just enjoying and savoring 
And God's telling you, you can do it. You can be righteous. You can whatever. But there's a 100x life that's waiting for you on the other side if you just trust me in this vulnerable space. And um, so I don't know what it is for you this morning, people of Church on Morgan who often seem like you have it pretty together. But God's the one person who can see the lack, who invites you to trust that there's more to this life. And may we find comfort and peace in that. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. If this podcast has been meaningful to you, be sure to rate us and subscribe for future notifications. This free resource and all of our ministries are supported by the generosity of people like you. If you'd like to make a donation, visit churchonmorgan.org and select Give from the drop-down menu. Thanks for listening.